if you got a Bible, um, I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, um, Mark chapter 3 um, is where we're going. And we are starting a brand new series today um, called Called Out. It was supposed to start next week. Um, it was supposed to be our series for 2020 and to begin that. Um, but I panicked over a short week this week and couldn't get all my stuff together. And, um, and so I just took like week one and rolled it into here. And so um, that's my... Christmas gift to me is I didn't have to work as hard, I guess. I don't know. Um, but so anyway, this series is, um, is, is choosing calling over comfort. And we're going to look at Jesus calling um, different people out in the Bible and apply that to us and, and what Jesus wants us to be doing in our lives. And, and really the fact that Jesus has called us from the ordinary into the extraordinary. That's really the calling that he's placed on every one of our lives, is not just to be ordinary, but to be extraordinary. And he's called us into bigger and greater things than any of us could could possibly plan or imagine for ourselves. And as we go through this series and as we launch into the new year, um, my thought is that we don't have a theme that kind of takes us into next year um, or throughout the year, but that we just really look at the calling individually that Jesus has placed in our life and that we continually step into that. And then that corporately comes into the church and it helps um, all of us together as, as we look at what Jesus Christ has done for every one of us. Um, I want to start out by saying this, though, and kind of kind of launch into the whole thing. One of the things that um, that I do a lot, one of the things I encourage you to do a lot, especially at Christmas time, is invite people to church. Um, years ago, we did... Um, throughout the year, um, we preach in series here. You know that if you've come for any, any time. Um, we, we did a thing in every series where we, we led every series um, up to one weekend where we encourage you on this weekend, we want you to invite your friends. Um, we're, we're probably going to go into like doing some more of that stuff um, in the coming year. Um, but, but that particular year, every series, we said, okay, there's one message inside of this series um, where we're going to drive you and propel you. And, um, and that's one of the things that, that we think um, helps, helps church growth, it helps individual growth, um, is you inviting people. And so we always en- encourage you to do that. Um, and especially, again, around Christmas time, it was like, hey, we had great Christmas services. They were awesome. You invited people. They were great. But see, here's the thing. When you invite people and you say, hey, will you come to church with me? Would you like to come to church service with me? We give you a little card that says, come sit with me, you know, all, all of those things. Um, we get very different answers, right? Sometimes people say yes, and they come. And sometimes people say no. But people don't ever just say no, do they? There, there's always a reason with their no, yes or no. Yeah, there's always a reason. For example, I've had people say, well, Sunday's my only day off. I don't get any other day. I work six days a week, and it's the only day of rest I get. I, I, I get that. I understand that. A lot of people work six days, and, and they got that one day. It's like you just want to kind of sleep in a little bit, kind of enjoy your time off. I, I get that. I understand that. Other people say, well, I connect with God in other ways. And, and, and I totally get that because people tell me all the time, I connect with God when I'm fishing. All right. I'll give you that. You're out on a boat. You see the sunrise, the sunset, whatever. It's beautiful. People say, I connect with God when I'm hunting. Um, I, I get that. This week, Jira and I went hunting. The sun came. Like, it, was just, it was just cool being out there with them. It was like, it was like a connection time with me and him and God. And, and it, it, was, it was cool. And so, and so I understand those things. People say, well, I connect with God on the golf course. I'm going to stop right there and say, no, you don't. You don't. You talk about God. And it's not in a worshipful way. It's not. Stupid mother. Right? 
Like that, that's what you do, but, but there's lots and lots and lots and lots of lots of reasons why people do or don't come to church. But the number one reason, you've heard me say this before, and people have told you this, the number one people, reason people say they don't go to church is this. The reason I don't go to church is because church is full of, if you finish this, church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, right? I don't go to church because church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Now, I used to tell people all the time, well, there's always room for one more. Come on down, baby. We got plenty of room for you. I mean, we're all hypocritical in some way, shape, form, or fashion, right? Every one of us. We're, we're all a bunch of hypocrites. But this week, I was listening to some Christmas messages. And, um, and, and I don't care where you land on, on this dude or not, like if, if you like him or don't like him or whatever. I was listening to him, and so you got to deal with it. Um, I was listening to some Andy Stanley messages, and he made this statement that I completely resonated with because um, he said, well, let me say this. It's not that just that church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. The church isn't just full of a bunch of hypocrites. It's much worse than that. In fact, it's far worse than we could ever possibly imagine. And he used this statement at the beginning of this message, and it was so good. I wanted to use it here as well. Because, again, it's not that we're just full of hypocrites. It's that the church is, look at this statement. He said this, what do you call a group of lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful, porn-watching, tax-dodging, racist, jealous, judgmental, lonely, angry people who eat too much, spend too much, drink too much, medicate too much, worry too much, smoke too much, who gather together because they believe that Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light. What do you call this group of people? You call them the church. I love that. I love that. It's not that we're just hypocrites. We're full of lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful. In fact, everybody here today, you could probably find yourself somewhere on that screen in at least one, probably in more than one of those adjectives or adverbs or whatever. The heck, are they adverbs, adjectives? What are they? The words, in one of those words, you can find yourself in somewhere in, the, in this group. Now listen, I, I'm never going to be the person to defend the church and say it's a bunch of perfect people with perfect lives, and, and, and everything, is just, everything is just great, everything is wonderful. Because if you find that church, let me tell you something, everything's fake. Something's shady. They're hiding something. This is who gathers at the church every single week. Every week, that's who gathers at the church. Here's what, I, here's what I'm trying to say. When we gather together as a group of believers, if we really want to see God work, if we really want to see God move, as we step into 2020 and we really want to be the people who see God use us and, and God further his kingdom and God allow, or, and, and us taking our next steps when he calls us, if we really want to see Jesus do something in our lives, then instead of pointing out what we think is wrong in everybody else's lives, we need to walk around with open hands. That's what we need to do. We need to be a people of open hands. If you don't get anything else I say today, you need to get this. We need to stop pointing our fingers and start opening our hands. We need to stop being a people that point our fingers, and we need to begin to open our hands. Because open hands are always better than pointed fingers. I want you to do this. I want everybody to physically do this. Right now, put all your stuff down. Put your notes down, kind of rub your pant, hands on your pant legs and kind of get ready, wipe all the sweat off. I don't know if your palms are as sweaty as mine, a little nervous. Well, everybody do this. Open your hands. So open your hands. Flip them over, just kind of play with them, whatever. Open your hands. 
Open your hands. Now, when you have open hands, you can receive something, right? When you have open hands, you can receive something from somebody. Now, point your fingers. What did you have to do to point your fingers? What did you have to do? You had to, you had to close your hands, right? And some of you are like, no, no, not magic fingers. We're not doing that here, okay? We're, we're not. Open hands are way better than pointed fingers because when my hands are open, I can receive something. When, when I'm pointing, I'm always pointing in judgment, right? I, I think the, the reason a lot of people don't get the blessing or encouragement or hear from the Lord is because we've got pointed fingers. And, and when you got pointed fingers, you can't have open hands. And, and when you don't have open hands, you can't receive what God wants to do in your life. And so my challenge today, and my challenge for you stepping into 2020, is that we would really look at what Jesus has done for us. Really look, and, and not become a people, and, and not become a church that points our fingers at other people, and, and, a, and a people and a church that are judgmental, who are looking down on people, not extending grace, but we'd be, we'd be a people and we'd be a church full of love and grace and mercy, and we would be a church and a people with open hands. Now, I want to show you what this looks like. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. This is what the Bible says. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. Now, now let, me, let me say this. Synagogues were in every Jewish community. They were like many temples, all right, like many churches. They weren't the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem, and that's where everybody went for worship. That's where you went to get your sins atoned for. That's where sacrifices were made. Um, but the synagogue was like, like every little village had a synagogue, kind of like how in every American city we have like 19 churches or, or, or whatever, all right? So, so Jesus is in the synagogue. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So Jesus is where? Synagogue, right? He's, he's in the, the, little, the little mini temple. He's in the church. He's in this, this little community. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now, we kind of set this up. Have you ever been caught with something and, and, and you tried to hide it? Have you ever been caught with something you tried to hide it so somebody wouldn't see what you had? Um, one, time, <laughs> one time I went to a football game, and, and I walked up to a tailgate spot, and I was, uh, saw a guy that I knew, and I walked up there. He was drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette. And as I walked up to him, he pushed the beer behind his back as fast as he could and, like, baptized the little kid that was behind him. And then he took the cigarette and he hid the cigarette behind his leg. And he looks at me and goes, Pastor Ryan, how you doing? And, and I wanted to see how long I could do this. And I'm like, good, man, how you doing? He's like, oh, man, I'm so good. I was like, your leg's on fire. And uh, he's like, oh, like, it, it, it was crazy. He, he, was, he was trying to hide it. He was trying to conceal it um, because he thought I was going to judge him. And he, he didn't want me to know. Everybody here has probably tried to hide something, right? You've tried to hide something from your mom. You've tried to hide something from your dad. You've tried to hide something on your phone. You don't want somebody to see or whatever. I'm, I'm not talking about that. That's another message for another time. This guy, we don't even know his name, but he walks into the synagogue, and he's got a shriveled hand. Now, the, while the Bible doesn't say this, I will guarantee you something. He had his hand hidden, probably in a long robe, because he didn't want people to see the fact that he had a shriveled hand and here's why in this time period in the in the ancient world if something was wrong with you physically they were then they connected people connected it to being something wrong with you spiritually so if you were blind 
You were blind because something was wrong spiritual in your life or in the life of your family. If you were lame, if you were crippled, if you could not hear, or if you had a shriveled hand like this guy, then everybody looked at you and automatically would point their fingers at you and judge you because they thought something was off in your life. And if something's off in your life, it's because of something spiritual that is wrong with you. And if something spiritual is wrong with you, then you can't be in here with us and you can't hang out with us. And so when this man walks into the synagogue, it's not good. I'd be willing to bet that in today's culture, he would be like the guy or or he would be like the girl that comes in during the last song. And they're going to sit in the back row and they're just going to listen to the message and they're going to slip out during the invitation because they don't want to be seen or they don't want to talk to anybody. Because once again, they don't want to be judged by anyone. This guy doesn't want to be judged. He doesn't want to be judged because he's got this shriveled hand. And this shriveled hand means that something spiritually is wrong with him in everybody else's mind. That, that's, that's what they think. And he probably thinks that too. Why am I like this? What did I do? Man, I've, I've sinned so bad that this is it. Or, or my parents have sinned so bad that this is it. And so much stuff is going on in my family that I have to have this, and I'm cursed, and I can't do this, and I can't get that. Let me, let me say this, because, because honestly, this to me is, is huge. I find it so encouraging. Think about this. I find it so encouraging that he at least showed up at the synagogue. Don't you? That he at least, he at least came. Because listen to me, he couldn't go to the temple. Like he's got shriveled hand. Everybody says spiritually something's wrong with you. You can't go to the temple. He can't go to the temple and therefore he can't have his sins prayed for. He couldn't be forgiven because of this physical defect. That was a problem. This reminded me, I was thinking about this this week. It reminded me of the book, The Scarlet Letter. Anybody else scarred by reading that book? Anybody else, anybody have to read the Scarlet Letter when you were in high school? It's one of the classics, right? You know why they call them the classics? Because if they didn't call them the classics, nobody would read the classics. That's why they call the classics the classics. Uh, Anyway, um, this book reminded me, um, I'll give you the the Cliff Note version of this. When I was in high school, we had Cliff Notes. They were these little black and yellow books. You just read those. You didn't have to read the whole book. They were awesome. Um, Basically, this woman had sex with this man, and she wasn't married to him. And so she had to wear this letter A around her chest the whole time she was in town. And I started thinking the other day, what if every single person walking into church on every Sunday got a lanyard, and you had to wear the sin, or I had to wear the sin, the most common sin that we committed this past week? Think about that. What would that be like? Gossip, lust, porn, whatever. How many people showing up for church? Anybody? Anybody coming? (laughs) And if you did, it would be a really interesting conversation, wouldn't it? Because we'd all be looking at each other's lanyards trying to see what they did. Because if I can find somebody with worse sin than me, come on now, right? If I can find somebody with worse sin than me, then I can point at them. I'd point a finger and say, at least I'm not that bad. At least I'm not that person. At least I don't do what that guy does. At least I haven't been where that girl has been. At least I haven't done this. But don't, don't miss this. Pointed fingers means we can't have open hands see see, we see this guy and he's in the synagogue he's probably very self-conscious over the fact that he's got this shriveled up hand and and verse 2 says this it's talking about the pharisees and the religious leaders some of them the pharisees the religious leaders some of them were looking for a reason to accuse jesus not that crazy some of them were looking for a reason to accuse jesus now i know some 
godly people. Don't you? Don't you know some godly people? Some people that, I mean, they're just, they're just, <laughs> they're just so godly. And they're just, they're just so much better than, than you at every single thing when it comes to church world and church life. And, and, and I mean, they're just, they're just the top of the top, man. They're just, they know everything there is to know about the Bible. They know all the rules. They know all the tradition. They know everything you're supposed to do and everything you're not supposed to. I mean, they're just godly. But how godly you got to be to accuse Jesus? How godly do you have to be to accuse Jesus? Can we all admit that that's gone a little bit too far, yes or no? Yeah, that's what these guys are doing. Look at this. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal them on the Sabbath. So you got this guy with a shriveled hand. They know shriveled hand guy is there. They've been seeing him walking in. And we've talked about this before. Churches watch people walk in all of the time, and they know that they've got problems, and they know things are going on, but they're doing absolutely nothing to help them. They're not reaching out. They're not, they're not bringing them in. Their hands aren't open. Their hands aren't, aren't bringing them into a loving embrace. They've got their fingers pointed. And so these guys are pointing at the finger of the dude with the shriveled hands. And now they're trying to point their fingers at Jesus. They're pointing their fingers at Jesus. Listen to me. Sometimes... We can get so righteous, and this would probably happen to every single one of us. Sometimes we can get so righteous that we can't see the faults in our own lives. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Sometimes we can get so righteous, and we can be so godly that we can't see how jacked up we are in our own life. Several years ago, um, I got asked to do a wedding for some friends of mine, officiate a wedding. I, I love that term, officiate. Sounds like you're like a referee in a boxing ring or something, right? And really, that's what weddings are like. They, they are, because it's always tense at a wedding. Um, this wedding, this particular one, was tense. Um, and the reason it was tense was because the groom was black and the bride was white. Now, now most people don't have a problem with this anymore. And if you do, um, if you're here and you have an issue with that, 1950 called and they want you back. Like, like seriously, like, Get in your car and drive 88 and, and just go back. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> like, I don't, even, I don't even debate that stuff anymore. It's absolutely ridiculous. I've had people say, well, you know, the Bible says that you're not supposed to mix the races. No, it doesn't. It, do, it, it doesn't say that, all right? It doesn't say you're not supposed to mix the races. Stop taking the Bible out of context. We did a racism series here um, a while ago, and people left the church because of stuff that we said. And, and, and oh, I mean, it's just absolutely absolutely crazy shouldn't mix the races dude you don't even know what race you are S seriously you, you, you don't know you, you don't know the race and name you, you don't even know the name of your great 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 grandfather right how, how do you know what race they were just want to throw that out have fun today merry christmas <laughs> anyway the bride's dad was very upset that this interracial marriage was taking place now i'd never met him all I'd heard about was he was upset. Um, this could be an issue. They weren't really sure if he was going to walk his daughter down the aisle because he didn't approve of interracial marriage. And so I show up, not really knowing what to expect. Um, he didn't show up at the, the night before um, for rehearsal. And so everyone's just like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I get to the wedding. I'm going to go in and talk to the bride. Usually at, at weddings, I'll go in and I'll pray with the groom. I'll pray with the bride. I'm getting ready to go in and pray with the bride. And this guy comes over to me, and he introduces himself as the bride's dad. And when he did, 
my mouth hit the ground. You want to know why? Because he was Hispanic, and he had married a white woman. He was telling everybody, I got a problem with interracial marriage. I, I, I literally had to go be by myself for a few minutes, so I wasn't the one to mess up the wedding. He was so obsessed with something that he thought was wrong, which isn't, by the way, all right? But he was so obsessed with something he thought was wrong that he was losing sight of the very fact he's got a problem with interracial marriage, but he was interracially married. And it blows my mind that we do this same thing sometimes. We say, I have a problem with somebody doing this. I have a problem with them. They're doing this. I have a problem with this. I have a problem with what they're doing over here. I have a problem with somebody doing this or that. And every time we're pointing fingers, as we point our fingers, we're missing the opportunity for God to do something in our own lives. And we missed it because we're so obsessed with what we perceive other people are doing wrong. These guys, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, the teacher of the law, were so righteous, they were so godly, that they thought that they were at a place where they could actually accuse Jesus. And, and listen to me, every time you try to accuse Jesus, it always ends badly for you, always. In fact, let's look at this next verse. Jesus said to the man, the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, that's kind of weird. Isn't it? Because think about this. If you're in the back of the church service, if you just kind of snuck in and the pastor goes, hey, I need you to stand up. In fact, don't just stand up. Just come up here in front of everybody. You just got called out, right? You got, you got called out. And that's a weird, uncomfortable, unknown place to be in when you get called out. Now, all of us know what it's like to be called out. Like, for example, how many of you have ever gotten pulled over for speeding? How many of you? Come on, you're in church. How many of you got pulled? All right, just about every single person here. Um, my daughter, Chloe, a couple of weeks ago, um, legit, gets pulled over across the street from our house. Now, <laughs> later on, um, she's crying and, and she's upset. And, and I kind of laugh about that because a month ago, um, I'm on vacation and I see the lights come on, uh, or I looked behind me, and, and the lights had been on when they pulled me over. They informed me they had been following me for two miles with the lights on. And, um, and, and listen, listen, I'm 45 years old. The first thought that ran through my mind was, my dad's going to kill me. Like, like legit, that, that was it. The first thought that ran through my mind was my dad, because I felt like I'd been caught. I knew I'd been called out. It, it, we, we understand that when we see the blue lights flashing in the mirror, we feel called out, which is what I'm sure this man felt like. Th this man, all of a sudden, Jesus tells him, stand up in front of everyone. A and you know what? I'd be willing to bet that he felt like he was going to get shamed. I, I would bet that he felt like Jesus was going to say, what are you doing here? Why are you in here with your busted up hand? Why would you even walk into this place? What, what, what makes you think that, that you can show up and hang out with us? Because I'm sure he had heard those things before, and I'm sure he was expecting that he was going to get more of the same from Jesus. But see, Jesus didn't show up here on earth with pointed fingers. He showed up with open hands. And he opened his hands to model for us that when Jesus calls us out, he doesn't call us out to shame us, but ultimately he calls us out to celebrate something inside of us. Because, see, if we're going to, 
if we're going to truly see Jesus do a work in our lives, then we can't keep things hidden from him. And when Jesus calls us out, when Jesus is calling out what we're, what we're trying to hide, it's not to shame us. It, it's, so that, it's so that he can, he can bring about restoration in our lives. And, and so Jesus calls out what, what everybody else perceives to be wrong in this man. And, and here's, here's what I'm really saying. If we're going to have open hands and really listen to what Jesus wants us to listen to, we've got to be comfortable with stepping into the unknown, right? We, we, we've got to get comfortable with stepping out of the, um, stepping out of the comfortable and into the unknown. Th- think about this. This man had no idea what Jesus was going to do in his life. He's probably in an uncomfortable situation walking into church anyway, knowing what he's carrying, what everybody's thinking about him, how everybody's pointing their fingers. And and so being called out in front of everyone was both uncomfortable and unknown. But if we're really going to be a people and be a church of open hands and step into what Jesus ultimately wants us to step into, we're going to have to be okay with stepping into the uncomfortable and the unknown. And the only reason I would say it's okay to step into the uncomfortable and the unknown is because of who Jesus is. Because ultimately, Jesus is good. And he wants greater things for our lives than we want for ourselves. His plans are bigger than our plans. His, his, his design for us is greater than anything that we could ever possibly ask for or imagine. And so when he's asking us to step into the uncomfortable and the unknown, it's always 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 because ultimately he wants to bless us and work all things out for our good this man with the shriveled hand though he doesn't know that he doesn't know that he hasn't read the bible he hasn't seen the stories sure maybe he's heard about jesus going from town to town and people getting healed and water to wine and walking on water and the bread and the fish and all of that other stuff but he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what Jesus is going to do for him. Imagine if this was you. You've got the shriveled hand. You're trying to hide it because you don't want people judging you. All of a sudden, you get called out in front of everybody by Jesus. And you're right in the middle of the uncomfortable and the unknown. And everybody's watching you. Everybody's eyes are right on you. And then look at this. Then Jesus asked them, and he's talking to the Pharisees. And the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, he asked them, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. See, Jesus calls this guy up, and he turns to the people with the pointed fingers, and he says, hey, what's the right thing to do right now? What's the right thing to do right now? I was reading through a bunch of quotes this week, and saw a bunch of different things, and, and I saw this one, and, uh, and it, was, it was crazy because I started thinking about, what if I re- applied this to every area of my life? It was this, what does love require of me? What does love require of me right here, right now? In, in this situation, what does love require of me? And I thought, oh my gosh, if I applied that to every area of my life, and being a husband, and being a dad, and being a friend, and being a pastor, and being a boss, and being every, if, if I just would stop and just think about that, what does love require of me right now? Because see, it's always different. 
It's not something that we could put into a system, but right now in this situation, what does love require of me? Jesus asked these guys. He's like, hey guys, what does love require? What, what, what's the right thing to do? Right here, right now, in front of everyone, the dude with the shriveled up hand. Like he's come into this place, he's been struggling, he's been suffering, things haven't been good for him. What's the right thing to do? And they stayed silent. They stayed silent. And so look at this. He looked at them. This is Jesus, right? He looked at them in anger. Now, this is where I got to stop and I got to teach. Anger is not a sin. Anger is not a sin. Out of control anger is a sin. Jesus was angry, right? He's, the Bible says he's angry. He's angry, but he doesn't punch a hole in the wall, all right? Jesus, Jesus was angry. He was angry. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. Out of control anger is a sin. Uh, that's another message for another time, but I had to say that. Because look at this. It goes on to say, he looked at them in anger and in deep distress at their stubborn hearts. They had stubborn hearts because they had pointed fingers. They had judgmental attitudes, not open hands. When we have open hands, we have an open heart. When we have a pointed finger, we miss the miracle every single time. Because look what happens. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus never does anything halfway. His hand is completely restored. Now put yourself in this man's position for just a second. He's got shriveled hand. Jesus tells him to do something that he doesn't maybe want to do. Right? His hand is hidden. Right? He doesn't want anybody to know. He's called out. He's standing in front of everybody, and Jesus says, stretch out your hand. He steps into the uncomfortable. He steps into the unknown. But because he has an open hand, because he took Jesus at his word, and because he did what Jesus said to do, the Bible says his hand was how restored? Completely restored. That's what Jesus wants for our lives, healing and restoration. Healing and restoration. But healing and restoration cannot take place in an environment with pointed fingers. It just can't. It can only take place in an environment where we have open hands. Because if we have open hands, guess what? We don't have a lot of time to point fingers at other people. Listen, let me say it like this. We all have different preferences, right? We all have different political preferences. We all have different preferences in college football or pro football or however the games went yesterday, like, what, like whatever your preference is on instant replay and, and all that stuff. Like, like we can argue that all day long. We, we have different preferences on mountain experiences versus beach experiences, right? We, we, and, and, and all these different preferences and all these different opinions that we have, we can agree to disagree on. But all of us have to come in agreement with, with this story right here. In this story, you have to agree, it's a miracle. Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, it's an absolute miracle. Somebody with a hand that's all jacked up, they get their hand restored right in front of you. Everybody has to agree, this is an absolute miracle. This is a miracle, right? Yes, which is exactly the environment that we want to have here at Central. We want, we want to be an environment where people can literally be healed and restored, where people can experience Jesus in a way they've never experienced him before. 
And so if, if you have pointed fingers, like you're not really going to love the environment that we're creating because we're not going to be about pointing the finger. We're going to be about the open hand be, because you know what the open hand can do? The open hand can, can literally turn into arms of love that bring people in that need love the most. We're not going to be a group of people that kick people out because they have the shriveled hand. We're going to bring them in and love them and watch what Jesus does with them. That's who we are. That's who we need to be individually and corporately. Now, I got to say this because this is where everybody kind of goes, yeah, that's cool, man. I'm excited. I'm excited about a church for messy people. And I've discovered, especially lately, everybody's excited about a church for messy people until messy people actually start showing up. Here's what you need to understand about Central. From the senior pastor all the way down, every one of us is messy. Every single one of us is jacked up. And every single one of us needs an open hand, and every one of us needs an open hand extended to us. Because if we have open hands, we don't have a lot of time to be pointing fingers. And, and, and let me tell you this, life is too short and hell is way too hot for us to be wasting our time pointing fingers at other people instead of opening our hands and bringing them in in love. This next verse, this absolutely blows my mind. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. How they might kill Jesus. Anybody else think this is weird? I think this is crazy. Jesus just healed a man, a man with a messed up hand. We don't, we don't know for how long. We don't know if he was born with it. We don't know if it developed that way. We don't know if he got it cut off in a combine or whatever. We don't know how long his hand is, is jacked up. And Jesus heals this dude on a Sabbath, which, which don't miss this. He broke their religious rules. There's nowhere in the scripture that says you can't heal on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, I've told you this before, what they did is they made extra rules on top of extra rules on top of extra rules on top of extra rules. And, and, and here's what I've discovered about religious people. When you break their rules, they will break God's rules. When you break their rules, they have no problem breaking God's rules. Because this is kind of bold, isn't it? Because doesn't the Bible say, thou shalt not kill? Doesn't, doesn't it say that? Doesn't it say that? And, and what are they planning to do? Kill Jesus! They were so blinded by their pointed fingers, they couldn't even see their own hypocrisy. And because of that, they missed the miracle. This is why some people, man, they can't celebrate when people get saved or, or take their next steps. You, you ever been in an environment where somebody prays to receive Jesus, and there's somebody in the back going, well, we'll see. I'm like, what the heck, man? What, what do you mean? They just, they just prayed. And, and they're like, oh, I don't know. I've, I've seen this before. Oh, my gosh. You're missing a miracle. When somebody gets baptized, when somebody gets saved, when somebody takes their next step in their walk with Jesus, people try to downplay it. It always blows my mind. The, 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 these, guys, these guys left the scene of a miracle and said, we've got to kill Jesus. We've got to kill him. And ultimately, the reason Jesus got killed is because he kept breaking religious rules. Because religious rules are all about pointed fingers rather than open hands. At, at the end of the day, we miss the miracle when we have pointed fingers rather than open hands. We miss the miracle. And so the question we've got to wrestle with today is, are we the type of person 
that has a pointed finger? Or are we the type of person that has an open hand? Do you have a pointed finger or do you have an open hand? Because I'm going to tell you, Central Church is an open-handed church. These are the kind of people we want showing up. Because if we're doing this, we don't have time to be doing this. Let me say this before I close. Maybe you're here and you feel like the man with the shriveled hand who showed up and you felt like you had something to hide today. And, And you feel like Jesus is trying to call you out. And the reason he's calling you out is because, don't, don't miss this, he, he wants to heal what's hidden inside of you. And, and he's not going to heal what stays hidden as long as you keep fighting it. But when he calls you out and you actually stand up and you actually say, here I am, Jesus, here it is, I'm laying it at your feet, man, he's going to do amazing things in your life. Because the reason he's calling you out is not to shame you, but it's ultimately to heal you and to celebrate in you and with you what he's going to do through you. And when he does heal you, don't ever feel bad about celebrating that. Because the only people that can't celebrate the healing are the ones with pointed fingers. And so are you going to be a person with pointed fingers just pointing out everything wrong with everybody else? Or are you going to be a person with open hand, extending your open hand to other people, but more importantly, having an open hand to allow Jesus to grab onto it and do what he needs to do in your life? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this story and so much for this first healing. God, I pray today that starting with me, that we would be the type of people with open hands when it comes to the work that you want to do in our lives. That we would be a church. There's a church of of people, open hands. That Central would have open hands to everyone. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to ask you this question. Do you feel like Jesus has been calling you toward him? Do you feel like Jesus has been trying to deal with something in you? And that maybe today you're like the man with the shriveled hand and you're trying to hide something. And he's going, hey, let's deal with that. Hey, let's take care of that today. Hey, I'm calling you. Why don't, why don't, you, bring that, why don't you bring that to me and let me handle that? Stop trying to hide it. Stop trying to do it on yourself. Give it to me and I'll take care of it. Healing and restoration is what I want to bring about in your life. But you're hiding it. Because you know that dealing with it will cause you to step into the uncomfortable and the unknown. But you don't understand that when he's calling us out on something, it's only because he ultimately wants to do something great in us. Here's the deal. You can always trust Jesus to do the right thing. Always. So maybe there's something in your life right now, today, you need to surrender to him. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just asking you right now where you're at to surrender that to Jesus. Just surrender it to him. Just say, Jesus, whatever you want, whatever you want, your will be done. Whatever you want, Jesus, your will be done. Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Jesus. Maybe that's what's hidden from Jesus right now is your life. Maybe it's because of the way you've been treated by religious people. I I get that. But if you're here and you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ into your life because you didn't think you could trust him or you didn't think that that you could, that he would want to have anything to do with you, that your sin is too bad, listen to me. You can trust him more than you've trusted anything in your life so far. 
so today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you right where you are, right now, just in your heart, just, just, just pray this prayer. Just pray, Jesus Christ, right now, I give my life to you. I open my heart. I open my hands. Come into my life, Jesus, and take over. I'm a sinner who needs saving. And I believe you died on the cross. And God, I confess that you raised your son from the dead. And that you did that to pay for my sin, to save me. So I ask you today to come in, come into my life, take complete control. Show me how to live for you. And for the rest of my life, the best I can, I will put you first and I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.